Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday in America. Yes, it's good to be joining you here at John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Today, we're going to take a break from Afghanistan. I know you're like, why? Well, because there's a lot of other things going on in the world. We don't want to take our eye off them. The interview I'm about to share with you today is extraordinary. If you haven't heard the story of Kyla Posey or her daughter or her husband in Atlanta at a elementary school, public elementary school in Fulton County, you need to know about it. This is an extraordinary tale of a family, by the way, an African-American family who was told that their second grade daughter could not go to the class that she wanted because she had to go to, I'm not making this up now, you're going to hear it from her directly. She had to go to the black only class, the black class. I thought we got out of this 70 years ago. That's what the civil rights movement is. Now we're going back to assigning, I'm not making this up, children to classes based on race, based on identity, making the skin color the predetermined of what type of education, who they hang out with, who teaches them. This is an extraordinary thing. Now, Kyla Posey, the mom here, very well educated, her husband, a school psychologist in the same school where their daughter was told that she had to go and settle for the black class or be sent there only. Well, they have taken matters in their hands. They have sued. They are pushing a complaint. They're going to bring justice to this because they are concerned that the trend line that is going on all over the country, but Atlanta becomes one of the ground zeros for it, is that skin color is becoming the predeterminate, the first thing that educators are looking at and then determining the student's fate. That is not what the Constitution allows. You heard what Kimberly said on Monday from the Southeastern Legal Foundation, Kim Herman, all about what teachers are saying in Springfield, Missouri. Well, here's a parent in Atlanta having the same experience. These are called culture wars by the media. People have a lot of different names for it. But at the end of the day, this is a larger question about what sort of America we're going to be going forward. Are we going to be an America that uses skin color as the primary and first predeterminant of how the American experience goes down? Or are we going to rely on merit and quality and need and uh, all those things? And when you listen to Kyla Posey, uh, who is so gracious to spend time with me, you're going to hear about retaliation, allegedly. You're going to hear about the mindset of the educators. And here's an important thing. This parent had the prescience of mind 
to tape recorder conversations so that they would be preserved forever. So there could be no denial or flip-flopping or bobbing and weaving. The story of Kyla Posey is such a powerful one. Let's go take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you're going to want to hear this extraordinary, extraordinary story. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And I want to take us to Atlanta. We spent a lot of time there this year talking about some of the election things that went on. But there is an extraordinary education story going on. A group of parents literally being persecuted, retributed against because they don't want to see classrooms segregated, as some educators in the city are trying to do. And joining us right now is Kyla Posey, whose daughter and whose husband, are right at the center of this debate, this storm in Atlanta. It's a remarkable story. Kyla, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, John, for having me. Yeah. When I first heard this story, and it was a friend telling it to me in the newsroom, I'm like, oh, no, this has to be fiction. This can't be true. And and then, you know, we dug in at Just the News, and it is so true. I, I wonder if we could just walk people through what happened. I mean, you, you send your daughter to school, you think everything's going to be fine, and all of a sudden you find out there's a, a different sort of education going on. What, what happened? Right. So, unfortunately, it is all true, John. Um, my husband is on staff there at um, Mary Lynn, and right. the principal allows staff to select their teachers. So, at the end of the school year, I you know, make the educational decisions. So, I reached out to her, let her know who our options were, our choices were, and then um, she reached back out to me to let me know that um, I would need to select someone different for my second grader. And um, I was a little bit, you know, confused, didn't know, understand why. I yeah. asked, you know, is she moving or, you know, is she going to a different grade level? And she finally said, no, if you put her in that classroom, there won't be anyone that looks like her there. And I was, again, puzzled. I know my community. I know there's not very many of us. Right. However, there should be someone that identifies with her in the class. And I said that to her and she said, well, unfortunately, she said, that's not the black class. I'm sorry. She, she literally said that? She said those were her words. She said that, <laughs> oh, that is my not gosh. the black class. And I said, what do you mean that's not the black class? Like, what does that mean? I said, what Yeah, does what does that mean? mean? And she said, yeah, I'm making two classes. She said, I'm putting six in one and five in the other. And um, if you select the other teacher, she won't have anyone that looks like her. And I told her immediately, I said, that's against the law. Like, you can't do that. And she said, right. no, that's what I'm doing. These are the black classes. And oh my um, gosh. it was unbelievable. There was this pit in my stomach. And I just kept saying, you know, you just can't do this. You, you got to spread them out evenly. And she was just like, no, yeah. I'm building a community. And I said, well, you didn't tell the community this and a and b it's against you know it's against the law you cannot segregate classes and she was just dead set on that's what she was going to do we confirmed it with the assistant principal 
Um, mm-hmm. She let us know that, yes, this was a practice that was happening. So then we were stunned because, again, the principal looks like me. The assistant principal looks like me. And we couldn't understand what was going on at that point. We just stayed adamant and said, no, place our student you know, with the teacher that's the best fit as a parent. As yeah, you're parent. just trying to get the best education for your child. Correct. I should have yeah. the access to all six classes as everyone else in that building. Yeah. So to know that she was limiting that access to black students is concerning. And that she and she's a veteran educator and she didn't think anything was wrong with it is really Amazing. concerning. Um, yeah. From there, we elevated it to the central office, central district office. They investigated it. They came back, confirmed that, yes, she was doing it. She admitted that she was doing it because there were other issues. We I had been taping all of my conversations because I just didn't trust what the local yeah. was doing. And um, and I have all of that on tape with them saying that, yes, that she was doing it. Yes, she admitted to it. And from there, it was just an onslaught of retaliation. She tried to get my husband kicked out of the building. She tried to get my after school program kicked out of the building. She wanted to move his office. And every time the district kept coming back saying, no, you know, she can't do that. You don't have to go anywhere. But it was just constant stress and um, retaliation. We also had issues with them misidentifying our daughter for the early intervention program, which is directly tied to funding. Um, sure. She is she was working above grade level at the time. This is a program for students that's working below grade level. When we questioned them about it, they refused to give us the documents, her educational records. We asked them multiple times, the assistant principal, she flat out refused. I only got the documents after I went to the district office. Once I received the documents, they confirmed that my daughter should not have been flagged for this program, which brought up so she, issues. I want, I want to make sure I understand this. So your daughter is actually outperforming. She's doing well, and they tried to put her into a lower-performing program, maybe to get more money, because you get paid differently, right, for Correct. Uh, students that are in the intervention program. So it's really a financial shell game, right, moving Correct. things around, if I understand. Yeah, amazing. And now we're having, you know, issues with, you know, you have parents that just don't see why it's wrong. You know, they've moved the goalposts when the story Mm. first broke. It was, well, it can't be true. And then when the tapes came out, then it was, oh, well, she had good intentions. Unfortunately, it's against the law. So it doesn't matter what your intentions are. It's against the law. We'll stop. So now you have the goalposts being moved and they're still in support of something, which is it's alarming that in 2021 we're having this discussion and you think it's okay, And it's it and it's scary that you have a group of parents that's willing to say, well, we support her, even though she was breaking the law. It really sets up the community for a, a bad trajectory. Oh my God, it's un, it's unreal. And again, when I first heard this, uh, there are only the black classes. I said, that's, that's no one talks that way. It's not possible in the 21st century that someone would talk that way. So especially someone educated and in, in such an important position as an educator. Where does this go? I mean, first off, I want to, let me step back because, you know, obviously you and your husband are well trained and you're doing a good job and you're fighting for them. But if you're a second grader, I guess it's your daughter, right? Uh, 
how does she handle this? I mean, it must be, I mean, how do you shield her from some of the, the uh, you know, emotional all that happens? But how has she been going through this? I mean, it must be as traumatic for her as it is for you guys. Well, I will say, you know, both my husband and I, between the two of us, we have six degrees in over four wow. years of experience. So we had to be educational snipe shooters to shoot through <laughs> all of the stuff that they were telling us because the regular yep. parent wouldn't know. They wouldn't know. And for my daughter, we've done a really good job of shielding her of any of this. So we don't have those conversations in her, you know, around her. She goes to school like every other kid and and has a good day. And that's what we want for her. the, The adults will have to deal with this. So we have not had that conversation with her. And luckily, there's no one that has had the conversation with her at school. She goes every day. Right. She says she has a good day. You know, it's just it's really concerning that we're here, but we tried everything. We worked through the district for over a year trying to get them to resolve this in-house so that we didn't get to this point. And um, at every point, the principal made a bad decision and she continued to retaliate. And, you know, finally, I told them, you know, at what point does this stop? Because I can only we can only put up with so much. But you have to tell her to stop retaliating. And they kept trying and she kept doing something different. And they, you know, it was this vicious cycle. And we just said, you know, fine, we're filing a complaint. Yeah. What is the status of that complaint? I guess it's winding through the legal system, right? It is. We have filed the official complaint. We have met with the investigators. They will go over all of our information. We've also sent recordings to them to corroborate everything that we've stated and then from there, they you know determine and they send that information, disperse that information after they've made their initial findings. Yeah, that's an important one. It's such an important case because it feels like we've gone back 50 years in time and uh, we're in some sort of uh, uh, time warp. It is it is remarkable. And for your courage to stand forward and to fight, obviously, you you know how to work that system because a lot of parents would have been paralyzed or frozen out the first time they got one of the excuses, but you've been able to navigate with such skill that I think we're going to get to the bottom of this and that's good. I want to step back because you're very learned in this area and I want to ask just broader. This seems to be part of this movement that started 10 or 20 years ago about identity politics and identity education. Uh, you see some campuses that have specific identity dorms now, and there was one earlier this year that literally said white students couldn't go here and black students can go here. Obviously, once it came out, they fixed it. But uh, what is this movement? What is this philosophy? And what are the potential dangers to it for the next generation of our children? You know, that's an excellent question. I feel like... Um, we're setting up a a real bad precedence. As you said, going back 50 years, it's it's setting up the precedence that, you know, everyone's not going to be treated equal. Everyone's not going to be treated fair. And I think that's a a dangerous road to go down. And I'm hoping that, you know, with us standing up, because I'll tell you, it's hard to stand up for what's right by yourself because it's it's alone. Um, it's very lonely, isn't it? Really yeah. lonely. And, you know, we've we've been working through the issues with the community. And, you know, there's people on our PTA that I'm on the board at the school that have tried to remove me. Unbelievable. For, for saying what was what was wrong. Like, I, I'm a parent. My wow. first job is to advocate for my child, first and foremost. And this not only affects my child, 
but it affects so many more. I hope that through all of this, you know, our community takes, and other communities take a really good look through the lens and they, we fix it and get it right because yeah. it's a dangerous road to go down when you start branching off and saying one race is better than the other or, or whatever. It's yeah. a slippery slope. It is. It's never turned out well in history if it was allowed to slide. And, and I think you're one of the first line defenses of this very important debate. And, you know, I'm certain because I've been to a lot of schools. I, all, there aren't teachers. I don't think teachers and educators are acting maliciously. Right. I, but they have to step back and see that what they're doing is basically creating a new form of racism or a new form of segregation somewhere. We have to get uh, out of the fog of the war and get these educators to see the potential danger they're doing. And it it seems like you're on the forefront of that. If people want to follow what you're doing or if they have a similar circumstance in their school district, how can they stay in touch with you? And what are some resources that they could draw from as they try to learn how to navigate what you've already successfully navigated? Sure. I mean, you know, this is all new to me. (laughs) I'm just a regular (laughs) mom. You know, I didn't want any of this. I just wanted to do the right thing. But now it's really making me look at, you know, how can I help be a voice? Because... There may be a lot of people out there in the same boat that can't find the voice. So, you know, my um, attorney and I are working on some things to provide and, and set up so that if there are parents out there that need that support, we can I can provide some guidance for them as best as possible. But um, what I will say is parents need to be very um, vigilant in their students school life, ask questions. You typically know when it's not right. Your gut tells you. Um, yeah, that instinct you know, the parents have, right? You're Right. Your gut's going to tell you that this yeah. isn't right. And just reach out, research. I think, you know, us being educators, it made it a lot easier because we immediately knew it wasn't right. We immediately knew where to go. But the fact that they tried it with us, I mean, and I remember staying up at night saying to my husband, of all the kids in the building... <laughs> Yeah, I are boy. Like they, you know, they might have picked the wrong team. <laughs> right, they could have picked any other kid, but they picked yeah. ours. And yeah. I'm gonna fight to the end. Everything's gonna be heard. And I think they're getting a dose of that. That I'm not going anywhere. I meant what yeah. I said, and I said <laughs> I said what I said. Yeah. So I would just you know I haven't gotten to a point to where we have all the web addresses for people to reach out. But I will say, if you look, you can find me pretty easily on some of your social media platforms. And there's been parents, community members that have reached out, that have tracked me down. I don't know how, but they've tracked me down. And I appreciate all of the kind words. That means a lot and that keeps me going. And I'm in it for the long haul. And I want all kids to have access, the same access. So I'm yeah. here for the long haul. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, that is a good thing. And I, I could tell you after we wrote our first story here at Just to Do, thousands of people reacted to it. And we're so grateful that you could come on and personify the story and show us what's really going on. And it is something we're going to stay on top of here. We wish you and your husband and your beautiful children uh, well, because this is an important fight. I know it's about your child personally, but it's about a much larger debate in America. And I think you're inspiring a lot of people to go check their own classrooms and see what's going on. So God bless you, Kyla. This was a really important conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's an honor on our part, please. All right, we'll be right back. 
right after this commercial break. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the John Solomon Reports podcast. This is Sophie Mann of Just the News, and I'm sitting here today with Jen Wilson, the COO of Army Week Association, who's here to talk about a really timely and obviously important and heartbreaking issue the botched evacuation of Americans and imperiled allied Afghanis in Afghanistan right now, um, sort of dealing with the bumbling of the Biden administration. But I don't even really want to preface it any more than that. I want to get right into things. Jen, welcome to the podcast. We're really happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. We need all the the help we can get. Yes, of course. Uh, We're glad to do it. So, Jen, you are currently spearheading a really interesting and important operation sort of on the ground in Afghanistan. Can you talk a little bit about what Army Week Association is and what you guys are now doing over in Kabul and the surrounding areas as Americans and Afghans struggle to get out in the coming days? Yes, just quick background on Army Week. I mean, it started uh, with just a friend of mine who's currently in the Army, and it was originally built just to be kind of fleet week, but for the Army. And so we spend a week's worth of events focused on the transition space for our soldiers, for their families, children, Gold Star families, and we throw the Army birthday gala in New York every year. And so we built that in 2012, and so we've been doing this for, you know, a decade now. And so literally everybody I know served in Iraq or Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. right? And every single one of them had to have an interpreter. Some of them had dozens. So everybody in my life is intimately impacted by this. And I'll tell you, it became very basal for me. I saw immediately the effect it was having on my guys. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, if I don't get these guys out, I'm going to start losing my guys. We've already lost two to suicide. And it's very basal for me. And so it became you know, last, whatever the week, whatever, I'm sorry, I've lost track of days, but whatever the weekend that cobble fell, that Friday, it started out kind of small. And it was just a bunch of us kind of working in our own little pockets and our own networks trying to see what we could do. It, it hadn't, cobble hadn't yet fallen, but we were already trying to exfil people on uh, commercial flights because the commercial airport side was still open. And once it did fall and it became much more, you know, panic stricken, and we've got to get them out now. We all ended up kind of all of our small little groups ended up kind of converging together. And then, you know, this person will put you in contact with this person if you needed this. And, and then it just kept growing and it kept growing and it kept growing. And everybody, I mean, I, I know literally no one that has not been able to offer us some level of help. I mean, for, down to our friends that are just texting us gift cards to feed us um, up to, you know, former CIA agents, uh, officers calling us to give us advice on how we can do this and how we can do this and, and helping us to move, 
guys through the country. I mean, it's, it's, it's become massive um, on a very good scale because, you know, last night I get a call at 1.30 in the morning, New York time, that we have 43 Americans, blue U.S. passport Americans trapped at Abbey Gate being denied entry by the United States Marines. Now, it's obvious those guys aren't making the decision, but United States Marines are looking into the eyes of Americans and telling them they can't come through. And what a uniquely American and incredible effort you are sort of discussing in terms of these veterans of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars who are now coming together. Can you talk to us a little bit? I mean, I know this is something that you've mentioned before, but sort of you were talking about the state of your guys and how uh, you've already lost two, which is so tragic. But I mean, so is this sort of there? It seems like. Uh, veterans of these wars are currently in a really vulnerable emotional state. And this is sort of how they're channeling that productivity um, sort of to get their guys back in Afghanistan. You know, the the men and women and families thereof that they've worked with out. Is is that something that you think we're going to continue to see as this botched effort continues to fail? Oh, I have no doubt. There will be more loss in the veteran space in the next six months than I think we have seen in years to suicide because these guys, not only are they dealing with now the weight of, you know, we're right here at 9-11 and the entire country is back in the hands of the guys that they went there to kill and to stop, but they came home with all of their injuries, whether it be mental, emotional, or physical. And they've been bearing the burden of that for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And now now it's, it's, you know, salt in the wound because we've abandoned their buddy, their, their battle buddy. Sometimes the battle buddy that literally pulled them out of, I, out of IED explosions to save their lives. And we can't get them out. And if we can't get them out, we're going to lose our guys because our guys feel like their life can't matter if he loses his. Mm -hmm. It completely makes sense and is such sort of a tragic next step of all of this. So talk to us a little bit about the details of what you and this uh, this network of people are actually doing on the ground in Afghanistan right now. I think as the American public understands it presently, there are still some number of thousands of Americans stranded in Afghanistan. Um, The State Department said just this morning that they had gotten out north of 4,400 Americans, but we still don't have a clear sense of how many are left on the ground there and trying to get back. And that's, of course, Um, in addition to the number of imperiled Afghans who have worked with Western forces over the years. So what are you guys doing on the ground as our own um, as our own government's ability to get these people out is is sort of lacking? There's kind of uh, multiple beachheads on this. The first one and the most laborious is intaking all of these people. This isn't for the Americans. This is for the Afghan nationals intaking all of their forms and their data and putting it into the State Department form, their U.S. Embassy form, the Allied Airlift form, all of these different ones, it is laborious. And if there's one letter, one number off, they don't make it. So the need to be perfect is, you cannot, there is no other option. Um, So that is an enormous lift. And so we have um, a, a group that we, as soon as they come in, we just fire them off to um, this group of people who do all the data entry for us and then start up comms with those guys on the ground to keep them calm um, and to keep, tell them that, you know, because that's, 
and it, half of it also is becoming like a therapist and keeping mm-hmm. them calm and keeping them from being panicked. Um, but then there's a very, there's a very operational strategic side. Um, and if you, if you think about it, just the United States, we sent 800,000 guys into Afghanistan and women. When I say guys, I just mean American sure. soldiers. We sent 800,000 in there and that, that's just the military. That's not any of the other agencies or anything. So we have an army here on the ground that does absolutely everything that we needed to do to win that, well, that win those missions then to help now. So we have guys that are charting paths. We had a guy driving through early on. We had a guy driving through Kabul, dropping us pins in live location of Taliban checkpoints so that we could then overlay that over Google Maps and track a clean path for our high value targets to get to either a safe house or to the airport. Like I said, it's multiple beachheads. We've got, we've got the data entry side. We've got the very operational strategic side. And then we have some other, there's a lot of special operations forces, um, nonprofits on the ground that we're working with that have over the years been in Afghanistan and, and built their own, like I'll use the word militia for lack of a better term. And we've been using them, uh, working with them to facilitate rally points and escorts in from people that aren't standing at the gates. Um, And then it's just pure uh, shoe shoe leather, phone calling, making contacts, getting people on the on the ground in HKIA to get to the gate to get our guys or I mean, it's it's nonstop. It's 20. It's a 24 hour operation because when it's daytime in America, it's nighttime there and Mm -hmm. vice versa. So at 11 o'clock at night, the, the gates are opening and we've got to be constantly on the phone with our guys on the ground. And then when it's daytime here, then we have to be constantly watching the news and then working our contacts here. Yeah, I mean, truly what a mammoth effort on your guys' behalf. I'm sure you've not been getting much sleep for the past 10 days or so. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's sort of secondary to the point here. But Jen, talk to us a little bit about how you're feeling about the Biden administration's effort as it pertains to this massive evacuation mission. I mean, you know, we've been hearing from sources all week and all morning that people on the ground are just saying that, you know, even if this deadline of August 31st, which it seems like won't be extended, but even if it is extended, it's not clear that everybody's going to be able to get out, Americans and others. What's your take on that? No, I can, I can, I can tell you there will be no extension and the last chalk uh, will go out on the 27th of August. There will be no other evacuations coming out of HKIA on the 27th. It will then, the, re- the retrograde has already begun. It will just be plain retrograde from then on because the deadline is not 31 into 1. The deadline is 30 into 31, mm. midnight 30 into 30. So you lose 24 hours there. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So there will be no more evacuations after the 27th. So we have exactly 36 hours to get these people out. Wow. It's it's truly unbelievable. Um, so, I mean, how do you think the administration has been handling this? Is this going to be a stain on its reputation permanently? Are, you know, I think there are a lot of Americans out there sort of uninvolved directly in the way that you are, who are who are feeling disdain and confusion and sadness uh, about all of this. What's what, what's your perception of that? I think the White House is making a calculated decision on, that the American people don't care, won't care in two or three years. So get it over, get the blunder over early in the early in the administration and we'll move on. We'll, you know, move on to all kinds of other things, COVID and, you know, economic package and all of that. But as it relates to on the ground, I mean, 
I swear, if, if they step to that podium one more, one more time and say, no one's having trouble, Americans aren't having trouble getting to the, to the airport, if they are, contact us or give us their contact information, my God, I, every time they have the audacity to say that, everybody on my team almost destroys their entire apartment mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's just such a condescending, bold-faced lie. Literally, I got the call when we had 42 Americans trapped last night being denied entry. Yeah. Yeah, you and not the press secretary. It is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it is interesting. And again, I think I think uh, it's it's rubbing a lot of Americans the wrong way. You've been seeing Joe Biden's numbers simply plummet. So, Jen, I know that you have so much important work going on. I, I won't keep you for too long. I just have one more question, which is that to the extent that you were able to talk to us about it, can you tell us a little bit about what your intel is telling you the ground at the Kabul airport looks like right now? I mean, we've been getting a lot of mixed reports, not a whole lot of um, openness from from the Biden administration. But based on, again, your network, what what does sort of the ground situation, what's sort of the environment there? One of our guys, and this is verbatim, he said HKIA is zombie world meet the worst humanitarian crisis in history. Unbelievable. That's verbatim from a guy inside. Yeah. Um, not from the guys outside. I mean, I'm currently, as we're on the phone, this is what it's like right now. I'm moving a guy right now. So we had to lay Taliban checkpoints again over Google Maps, get him a clean path because they've been hunting him for days now. The reason we had to move him is because there was a 10-vehicle hunt squad caravan circling his position. So we're moving him, and we are working with British Special Forces to get him in. And then we have – he's our, I've already used that tactic and gotten him in once and had him thrown out had him thrown out the other night because of this insane paperwork nonsense that they're doing. I got a man in who gave 17 years to the United States. He joined when he was 17 because he came home one day from school and his mother and his sister didn't have food. And he was like, right, that's it. He stopped going to school to join with the Marine Corps to be a a chirp and a linguist and intel. Mm -hmm. And he's been doing it with us for 17 years. We went through everything we did to get him in there. Finally, it took, it was a three hour exfil to go 20 minutes and got him in there to have him thrown out within the hour. So this is our last shot. We're trying again one more time. Yeah. And we so appreciate the effort and everything you guys are doing. Jen, just very quickly before we go, tell us how, um, uh, you know, everyday Americans and our listeners here can be helping you guys if there is a way. I mean, at this point, we don't necessarily need the contacts on the ground anymore, the intel on the ground. At this point, what we need is money to help with resettlement. Mm-hmm. And we're having to procure cars on the ground to pull them from rally points to HKIA. And those cars get, quote unquote, burned quickly. Mm-hmm. Taliban picks up on what we're doing and we're moving them in this. Um, and so we have to constantly keep getting new cars. So what we need is if you're not in the military and you don't have someone on the ground that can help us, what we need is money. Okay. And is there a direct channel that people can access to send that to you guys or just what, what is the way that sort of, yeah, armyweek.org, armyweek.org. Armyweek.org. Okay. Everybody hear that, uh, armyweek.org. If you're interested in learning more about the mission or, um, making a donation, it's armyweek.org. Jen, thank you so much for being with us. I will let you get back to this most important work and hope you'll come back and give us an update when things are a little calmer. I would love to give you an update. Let's hope it's good, right? Yes, our fingers are crossed for you. Thanks so much, Jen. (laughs) 
Thank you. All right, we'll be right back after a quick commercial break. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, folks, that wraps it up for a busy Wednesday. So grateful you tuned in to John Solomon Reports. And I know when you need a moment of news check, when you want to go back back and get the facts, find out what's breaking in the news world, you know where to go. Justthenews.com. Check us out. We got you covered 24-7, both with investigative reporting and breaking news. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another great show.